Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. John, we continue a 10-week series yeah. on the subject of heaven, which has been fantastic so far. We have so much further to go. We do. But today we have some interesting conversation. One, one I got to admit, I hadn't heard this before you mentioned it, sort of the eight steps to redemption. Yeah, or, or the eight stages of our eight redemption. Yeah. And so you're going to talk about that today. So I'm excited to hear about that. And also the judgment seat. Yeah. You're going to talk about that as well. Some some frightening places to go, I think, uh, for our audience today. It's so important for us to understand that death is not the end of all things. And that when we move beyond death, you know, we don't come to this place of stasis, right? So I think that's where we want to go. Or excited, and I'm intrigued to hear what you have to say. So join us in just a moment. More with Dr. John Newfeld here on Truth and Life today. You know, it's amazing to me how often we hear of believers thinking about the life to come in static terms. You know, I'm, I'm living here, and then I'm going to go out and be in heaven, either on a cloud somewhere playing a harp, or you know, endlessly playing golf, or who knows how we conceive it. But I'd like to share with you that there are eight stages in our redemption, and watch this. Stage number one is our conversion. Listen to the words of Jesus. It's in John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Right now, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So, you know, the very minute we believe, we've already crossed the river. Uh, We've received of the Holy Spirit. We received a new heart. Our sins are paid for by the blood of Christ. We have access into the Father's presence. Now that we receive a new heart, we love the things of God above all other things so that it is our delight to do the Father's will. This is already called the foretaste of the life to come. Eternal life is already ours now. That's stage number one in our redemption. So it's so important to hear this. You know, if you don't have the eternal life now, you won't get it in the life to come. It's offered in the life now. So if you don't know Christ, I would say to you, and I would urge you, come to know Jesus. Surrender your life into his hands. Believe that Christ died for you. And, uh, and give your life to him. Trust in Christ only for your salvation. Stage number one is our conversion. Here's stage number two, death. Now, you might say to yourself, well, I kind of know I'm going to die, but how is that a stage in my redemption? Now, I would like to read to you from from the book of Philippians, and and Paul says something that's really quite wonderful. In in chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul says that I might know him, that I may know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, that's called union with Christ. Our death is our identification with Jesus. Believers should not look at their own death in somehow as as separated from the life of godliness. We have been invited to participate in death with Christ, so we experience death in Him, and therefore death is the next stage in our redemption. It's the one that still awaits us, but it's only stage number two. Stage number three is what we've already called a paradise, or sometimes it's called the intermediate stage. 
But we know that between our death and the second coming of Christ, all believers who die in Christ are ushered into his presence and they experience a full life even while they await for the final redemption of their bodies. So I don't know whether or not there's an intermediate body, sounds likely to me, uh, but we do know that we exist in Christ's presence in this intermediate stage where we are still awaiting for the final redemption of all things. That's the third stage in our redemption. The fourth stage is the return of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, uh, upon his return, all those who have already passed away will then receive the final body, this perfect body that will never pass away. You know, people often say, how old am I going to be when I receive my perfect body? And I don't know how to answer that. I simply say it's an ageless body and uh, it will be like the raised body of Jesus. Christ raised from the tomb, uh, lives bodily. We will have a body like unto his. That's the fourth stage in our redemption. It's at the return of Christ when we receive uh, the final body and when we will forever be with him. Now there's the, the fifth stage. And this is a stage again that many believers are not familiar with and it's called the millennium. And the millennium is the thousand year reign of Christ. The Bible says that he will reign on the earth for a thousand years, and there are all sorts of Bible passages that relate to the thousand-year reign of Christ. Isaiah the prophet says that the person who lives during the millennium, and I'm not now talking about the believers who have received a new body, but there will be people on earth who are ruled by Christ, who physically reigns from Jerusalem, and the people that live there, if they only live to be a hundred, says Isaiah, they will thought to have been cursed. People will live extraordinary long lives, but we who have received our new body will rule and reign with Christ during that time. So we'll be actively participating in his reign in some fashion. That's the fifth stage of our redemption. I hope you understand this sounds exciting. The sixth stage is finally the dissolving of the earth, the end of all things. At the end of the millennium, Satan is released from prison. He leads a revolt against Christ. The revolt is quickly put down. And in the book of 2 Peter and chapter 3, verse 10, listen to these words. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so there is a time when Christ will roll up the present order of things like an old garment and it will be disposed of and there will be a recreation of all things. Christ will recreate. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and um, that will be the eighth stage. So let me not get ahead of myself. I said the, fifth, uh, the sixth stage is when the earth is dissolved and all of the heavens as well. Then comes the seventh stage, and that's the one I want to talk about today, and that's the stage of the final judgment when the entire human race stands before Christ and are judged. Now, I'm going to talk about what that stage is all about today, but the eighth stage is the new heavens and the new earth when we will, together with Christ, rule over all the works of his hands and when we will have received our reward. I hope you understand that we don't come to the point of death and then nothing changes, it's static from then on. There is an adventure that yet lies before us, and that's why when we look at our own death, believers should not be filled with terror. Death itself is our identification with Christ and launches us to the next stage of our redemption. It is waited for with great anticipation because we will see him as he is, and we await all that he has for us. 
want to speak about the final judgment, and I want to read to you from uh, Revelation 20. It starts at verse 11 and through to verse 15. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, the final judgment does present us with this picture of the righteousness of God. It presents us with a picture of a throne and it presents us with a picture of the billions and billions and billions of humanity, every single human being who has ever lived, who will be gathered before this great throne. It will be the most awe-inspiring awe event in all of history. Some will be dumbfounded with fear and others rejoicing with great hope. I mean, this is ultimately, however, the destiny of the entire human race. Luke chapter 12, verse 3 says, Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Before the great white throne of judgment, there are no secrets at all. Everything is laid bare, and everything is openly exposed before the one who sits on the throne. That is the destiny of the human race. There is no escaping this one pivotal moment of all of history. Now, there are those who argue for a number of separate judgments, and that may or may not be the case. I really don't think that there's a Bible doctrine that is violated by holding it one way or the other, but from my perspective, everything happens at one time. I talk about various stages or phases of the final judgment. I do think it all happens. How long is that day? I don't think anybody knows. However, let me read to you a couple of passages that do speak about it. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it is Jesus himself who is the judge of the living and the dead. Ultimately, our account is given to him. In Acts 10, 42, he is the one who is ordained by the Father to judge the living and the dead. In short, everyone is there. No one is excluded. However, Jesus taught specifically on this matter, and I'm reading his words in Matthew 25, 31 and 32. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels are with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I mean, you almost get this, this sense of Jesus walking among the, the billions of humanity, all who now come before the final judgment. Uh, they all stand bodily before him, and he's already separating them out. And then after the separation happens, we notice, according to Revelation, that books are open. Now, it's interesting because John doesn't specifically tell us what's in the books, but it says that people are judged by what is written in them according to what they have done in verse 13 here of Revelation 20. So you've got to know that the books that are opened are the books of human deeds. What do we know about that? Well, in Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, on the day of judgment, men will render an account of every careless word that they have uttered. 
In other words, the things that you've long forgotten that you've said will be replayed on that day. We also know from Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14, it says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Everything will be exposed. There will be no secrets. And the things that we twist according to our own advantage will be twisted no more. It will be an objective rendering of what we have done. According to Romans 2, verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. And then later on, it says in verse 11, God shows no partiality. And so in other words, God will not be partial to any human being on that day. They will be judged according to their deeds. And that's a fearful thing. I mean, for those of us who say, you know, I think I've done fairly well, it's not going to be asked of you how you think you've done. It will be rather rendered according to the objective judgment of God. He will judge you on the basis of the Ten Commandments. He will judge you on the basis of the righteousness of himself. And that's an important thing to say. According to God, there is nothing that is a greater violation of his righteousness than failing to give thanks to him for every good thing that he's given in our lives. No one will stand in that day. Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. So these are the things that need to be remembered. People will be judged according to what they have done. And that tells me a couple of important things. Number one, it helps me to get rid of the mistaken notion that people will be condemned because they didn't become Christians. That's not the reason. They will be condemned on the basis of what they did. They will be judged by their sins. That's the judgment to come. Secondly, we also know that this is an answer to the question of what happened to the person who never heard of Christ? And the answer is they will be judged according to their works and no one can stand. See, that's the, the record of works. Now, I need to say something here, and it's so important to say. Every single person will be judged according to works, but the believer will be judged according to the works of Christ. See, we all have a decision to make, don't you think? Do you want to be judged on the final day of judgment according to your works or according to Christ's works? You see, when anyone's converted, this is what happens. They throw themselves on the mercy of Christ. Christ died for me and Christ lived for me, and I will be judged on the basis of his righteousness or on the basis of my own. So you've got to make a choice. Where do you want to stand? You know, for those who say, you know, I don't need any help, you'll be based on your own righteousness. For those of us who say, I'm a sinner and I need help, Christ comes and we will be judged on the basis of him. Well, so much more to say. According to Revelation 20, when it describes the final great judgment, Revelation 20 verse 15 says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, this is such an important statement. It turns out that there is one other book. You know, we got these books that, that actually account every single deed that was ever done, every misdeed that was ever done, an objective evaluation of every single human life. But it turns out there's another book. And that book is called the Book of Life. And ultimately, the only thing that matters is whether or not your name is written in the Book of Life. That's our conversion. That is the new birth. That is the minute that you say yes to Jesus, your name is written in the Book of Life. And that name gets recorded. And the day of judgment will actually be the most wonderful day that you've ever had. 
Now, it's very important for us to understand exactly what's going on when this happens. Um, you know, there's a number of passages in Scripture which tell us that we will also stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There is a judgment of believers. Of those whose names are written in the book of life, there is also a judgment. Let me read it to you. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 10. And here Paul is speaking to believers, those who have been born again, those who have eternal life, those whose names are written in the book of life. Watch what he says. So whether we are at home or away, that is, whether we are here on earth or whether we are in the intermediate state, uh, we make it our aim to please him, he says. And then he says to believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now that's confusing to a lot of people. And Romans 8 says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. That's true. There is no condemnation. However, we know that there are a number of scripture passages that tell us exactly how this judgment seat of Christ will act. I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 3 to 5. Paul says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will, watch this, bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then he watched this line. Then each one, each believer, will receive his commendation from God. Notice Paul doesn't say his condemnation. The judgment seat of Christ is not a a throne of condemnation. Our names are already written in the book of life. Christ has already borne our sins away. We never suffer for them again. But it is rather a record of the godly life. There is a judgment of works. There is a judgment that says, did you glorify Christ in everything that you did? Did you do it for him? Did you willingly forsake all other things for Christ? And we will be judged on that basis. So let me say something that I, I wanna try on for size. I mean this, I think, from the heart, and I hope you might listen to it and might mean it for yourself. Let every sin that I, John Newfelt, have ever done be exposed in the final day. Let everything that now shames me become known, and it will not serve to condemn me. It will only serve to highlight the grace of him who has taken away my condemnation, for let it be made known how great is the grace and love and mercy of him who paid for my sins on the cross. That is, I do not fear this judgment, for in fact, it will showcase how wonderful is his mercy. You know, for everyone who thought more highly of me than they ought, I will be fully exposed as I truly am, but that will expose the mercy of Christ. Christ was way better to me than I ever deserved, and every single one of us will say the same. We will glory in the cross and in his mercy. It's so important to know all of my sins and failures because I love the cross more than ever before. But then also there is a judgment um, according to works. You know, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells this amazing story and it's the story of the 10 minas. A nobleman, he said, went into a far country. And uh, when he was gone, he called his 10 servants and he gave to each of them 10 minas. And he said to them, engage in business until I return. 
And then he's gone, and when he comes back, you'll know that they receive different amounts of reward. I mean, one gained 10 minus more, and the other gained five, and the last one was, was faithless. And uh, Jesus said then, to whom much is given, to, much is required. There is a judgment on the basis of rewards. Listen, for instance, to Matthew 5, 11 to 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of uh, evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Listen, your reward is great in heaven. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, Jesus, uh, speaking of Jesus, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame. And we do the same thing. There is a joy that is set before us. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly must also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Live fully for Christ and you maximize your reward in eternity. Now about this matter of rewards, I want to quote twice from Jonathan Edwards. First of all, Jonathan Edwards says, there are different degrees of happiness and glory in heaven. As there are degrees among the angels and thrones and dominions and principalities and powers, so there are degrees among the saints. The glory of the saints will be in proportion to their eminency in holiness and in good works here. That's motivation for living. But then you say, wow, that's a problem because, I mean, does that mean that, you know, others will have received more than I? Yes. But listen to this from Edwards. Edwards says, there shall be no such thing as envy in heaven. But perfect love shall reign through the whole society. Those who are not so high in glory as the other will not envy those who are higher, but they will have so great and strong and a pure love for them, they will rejoice in their superior happiness. Here's the deal. Live for Christ fully. Give up everything for the sake of Christ because you're investing in glory. You're investing in your eternity. Do it because this lies before you. Welcome back to Truth and Life Today with Dr. John. John, uh, wow, uh, a couple of things come to mind. I'd never heard the stages yeah. of redemption like that, but you know, as you're going along, they seem pretty obvious. But, yeah, they're biblical. But, but it's important to recognize what they are yeah. and how they work along. But the other thing is just this, uh, this fear factor thing about the judgment seat. I mean, a lot of people are very, very fearful about it. Should they be fearful? Or what should they look forward to? Ben, some people even object. They'll say, you know, God has said, I'll remember your sins no more. We need to understand what that actually means. God doesn't have amnesia. So when he says, I won't remember them, and there aren't gaps in God's memory, yeah. right? It means rather he doesn't remember them to punish us for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think this uh, coming to terms with how much Christ has forgiven makes me glory in the cross so much more. Yeah. I, I come to realize that his love was greater than I had ever imagined, and I think we're all going to see that at the judgment seat of Christ. You know, and it's a unique way of looking at it, because honestly, when you start talking about it, I get all these flashbacks about the things yeah. that, you know, I have probably said, well, not 
probably I have said yeah. and I have done that I'm not very proud of and I'm not sure I would want everybody to know. And so that's where the fear comes from. But you sort of turned that on its head a little bit and said that's not where it should come from. That's not what we should be concentrating on. What should we be concentrating on? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that make us fearful of one another is because we recognize, you know, you and I are as sinful as each other. If I let you know what's in my heart, you might react out of your sinful, sinful inclinations. Me too, right? Yeah. So there are those factors. What is it like, finally, to reach glorification where I will no longer have to struggle with my sin nature, but will rejoice in your well-being and rejoice in the forgiveness of Christ? So this idea of besting each other is yeah. going to be gone. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be wonderful. And this whole idea of it's, it's really an ultimate display of God's mercy. Amen. Yeah. Thanks so much, John. What, what do we have to look forward to next week? Well, we're going to go to the new heavens and the new earth, and we're going to talk about in that final stage, uh, when all things are made new, what then? So we'll try to define Fantastic. that. Thanks so much. And remember to join us next week with Dr. John Newfeld right here on Truth and Life Today. Mm -hmm.